You are Locked On Mets, your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello to you amazing Mets fans. You're listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you can get Locked On Mets on the brand new podcasting app, Himalaya, as well as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Also, don't forget, when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Mets. So it was a horrible weekend of baseball for the Mets as they get swept by the Milwaukee Brewers. I will be breaking down Game 1 and most of Game 2 in the first half of the podcast later on in the second half, going to talk about Sunday's game and get into their upcoming series against the San Diego Padres. But first, I'm your host, Ryan Finkelstein. If you want to find me on Twitter, check me out at Finkelstein Ryan. You can also find some of my writing at slicksports.com. That is slick, S-L-I-C, sports.com. Before we get into the games, there was a big roster move Friday afternoon as the Mets demoted Dominic Smith and purchased the contract of Adani Echeverria, promoting him to the Major League roster. Now, I'll get more into the Dominic Smith side of this later on in the week. I'm going to be talking with Tim Healy, the beat writer for the Mets at Newsday, so I'll get more into those things with his reporting, but... Look at it this way. This move was more an Adani Echeverria move than a Dominic Smith move. Okay, Adani Echeverria had a clause in his contract that after May 1st, he could become a free agent and begin to shop for offers on a major league team. Now, he was playing well in AAA for the Mets. Slash line, he was hitting 348, 382 on base, 446 slugging percentage. So he was playing good baseball, and the Mets really couldn't afford to lose Echeverria, especially as you're watching Ahmed Rosario kind of self-destruct out there defensively right now, making a ton of errors. And Echeverria is really the only player I can see in this entire organization right now that could get by as the starting shortstop for an extended period of time. He's the only one. He's the only one who checks both boxes of being a major league caliber hitter and being a major league caliber defensive shortstop. Luis Guillorme has been the Mets' backup shortstop Throughout parts of this season, he's not good enough as far as being a hitter to start. And you can't start someone like Jed Lowry or Jeff McNeil at shortstop. They can play in an emergency situation for a game to give Rosario a day off. But they could not start at shortstop. Danny Echeverria can, and he brings a lot of versatility to this roster, which is something that is so prominent around baseball now. Echeverria is a really quality defensive infielder. We saw him at one point this weekend playing third base, making a play against the tarp on the side on a pop-up. A really solid play. He can play shortstop, as I've already mentioned. Plays a really good second base as well. So this is a guy who's a really quality defender, and he's a career 255 hitter across eight years. Of course, he started his career actually in Toronto, but spent a majority of his career at the beginning with the Miami Marlins, where he was there starting shortstop. He's kind of bounced around since then. Played for the Tampa Bay Rays, the Pittsburgh Pirates, and the Yankees all last season. But this is a guy who, again, it's a major league player. There's a difference you can tell between a guy like Echeverria taking in a bat versus Guillaume. You can just see the difference. And also a guy who has a lot of experience 
in the National League. That should help him as well. I think he's going to be a good piece of this roster and a piece that you couldn't let leave your organization. The cost to acquire another shortstop if Ahmed Rosario were to hurt himself or the defense continues to, to be so bad that they have to demote him, the cost to acquire another shortstop is going to be much more than the, I think it was $3 million that he's making this year. So it made sense to do that. They had to make that move. And Dominic Smith is just the casualty of that. But getting into the baseball games that were played Friday night, the Mets were not able to win. Steven Matz pitched relatively well, all things considered. He did allow nine hits, but only two of them that were costly. He gave up a solo home run for Lorenzo Cain and a two-run home run from Ryan Braun. The problem the entire weekend, though, is an inability to score runs. It's just that simple. They only had seven hits in Friday's contest. Michael Conforto was the only guy on the team with multiple hits in that game, going two for four. And his extra base hit, his double, in the ninth inning, was the only extra base hit the entire game. So the Mets are not only not hitting, getting hits, they're not even driving the ball well. The offense is just abysmal and was horrible all weekend long. They did score one run in Friday's contest. When in the first inning, Robinson Cano drew a walk, and then Michael Conforto and Wilson Ramos both got back-to-back hits to drive him in. Other than that, no offense on Friday. And moving on to Saturday, Zach Wheeler was on the mound. And we've talked about Zach Wheeler and having the bad inning. The isolated bad inning is something that plagues Zach Wheeler all year long. And that happened again in this game, but he was still very good. So he ends up giving up three hits in a walk in the third inning, allowing the only two runs that he would give up. That was the bad inning. You take that aside, though, Zach Wheeler start, seven innings, six hits, ten strikeouts. So he pitched very well. Two runs across seven innings should win you games most of the time. The problem is the Mets only scored a run early in the game in the second inning when Ahmed Rosario tripled home Wilson Ramos. Other than that, they would not score again until the ninth inning. But I'm going to tease that and talk about that in the second half because there's a lot more to get into with this game, and I don't want to rush it in this first segment. So we will get into what happened in the ninth inning with the Mets down 2-1 to one and what unfolded from there. Remember, to get this show every day, I need you to subscribe to the Locked On Mets on the new Himalaya Podcast app. In an ever-expanding podcast world, you need Himalaya with their personally curated playlists and new features every day. Download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to Locked On Mets. All right, you are back listening to Locked On Mets. Time to get into the remainder of the game Saturday night. As I left you in the first segment, the Mets down 2-1, to one, ninth inning. Pete Alonso leading things off, and he ties the game with an opposite field home run on the first pitch he sees. A lot of excitement in that moment. It was great. But from that point on, you almost regretted Pete Alonso hitting that home run because it was an exercise in futility if you had to sit through that game and watch it. Just brutal offense on both sides of the ball. Neither team could score a run until the 18th inning. So we're talking eight innings of extra inning baseball where nobody scored a run. For the Mets, of course, they got great pitching to get those results. Namely, Seth Lugo throwing three scoreless innings of relief on just 28 pitches. Really impressive. 
And Robert Gazelman also throwing three innings of scoreless relief. So those two guys in your bullpen maybe are starting to find themselves. It was good to see them pitch well. But, again, the Mets really couldn't hit. And when they finally did hit, it came in the 18th inning. Danny Echeverria, the aforementioned new shortstop of the Mets, he came up and he was playing third base in this game. Singles, he ends up stealing second base, allowing Jeff McNeil to have a runner in a scoring position. Now, Jeff McNeil started this game on Saturday 0 for 5. But then you watched him in the extra innings, and he got hits in each of his last three at-bats. He finally had that runner in a scoring position and drove in a run. And what I'll say about Jeff McNeil in this game particularly that struck me is this kid is a bulldog, man. His intensity is just palpable. Just to watch this guy, when he got that hit, and he ended up on that play, he tried to stretch it into a double, which was a smart baseball play because by attempting to get to second base on that hit, he forced the throw to come to second base, which allowed the Mets to score the run they needed. And as McNeil comes off the field, he was like visibly shaking with like intensity and rage. Like he was clearly fed up probably that the game had gone that long, that he kept on getting hits and no one else on his team would get hits, and that the Mets were in that situation where they had to scratch that run in that way, and the fact that he finally got a run across. I'm telling you, like his face was like shaking. He was so amped up, but also he wasn't amped up with an enthusiasm, a big smile. It was all intensity from Jeff McNeil. So that really impressed me. This is a kid that really cares about winning or losing, and unfortunately in this night... He had to endure a loss as Crix Flexen, the last man in the bullpen for the Mets, was just horrible in the 18th inning. He only got three called strikes, and this was after Flexen pitched a clean 17th. In the 18th, he, he only had three called strikes the entire inning. He walked three of the first four batters, the last of which on four straight pitches to load the bases. He did get an out in the middle of there. But with the bases loaded and one out, Ryan Braun, who had an amazing day for the Brewers, picks up his sixth hit, I believe it was a career high, six hits, to score two runs to walk things off in the most brutal fashion for the Mets. But really it shouldn't have gotten to that. Chris Flexen was the last guy on the bullpen for a reason. And they did not score a run until the 18th. Eventually the Brewers are going to score, and that's why they lost. But again, touching on McNeil and his intensity, Pete Alonso was the same way after the game. And to see those two guys, the guys that were responsible for scoring the two runs that should have won the Mets, a game they really had no business winning, to see the two of them so fed up after the game, it's a it's a positive thing to look on a bad night because those two guys are going to be with this ball club for a long time and both of them are motivated by the right things. I think that's something. That's one positive to take away. Anyway, moving on to Sunday, it was another loss for the Mets. Jason Vargas ended up being pretty decent in his start. He allowed three hits, walked none, struck out five. He did give up three runs in the third inning, two of them coming on a home run by Christian Yelich. But Vargas was giving the Mets exactly what they wanted. After the 18th inning marathon game, they needed Vargas to go deep, and they said he was going to get his 105 pitches which is rare as Vargas is usually pulled 
after he's gone through a lineup two times. That's that's basically how they usually construct his starts. But in this situation, he was supposed to be pushed, and with 50 pitches through four innings, he was ready to do that. Unfortunately, we learned after the game that he was removed due to tightness in his hamstring. Now, at the time when he was removed, we did not know this, so it seemed like a really bad managerial decision by Mickey Calloway when he pinch hit Michael Conforto in Varks' spot in the fifth inning, but now we know it was due to an injury. Ultimately, though, the Mets did score a run in that fifth. Keon Broxton doubled and would score a run when Tomas Nito got a base hit to drive him in. The Mets would draw within a run of the Brewers when Juan Lagares homered late in the game, but they were not able to score anything off Brewers closer Josh Hader, who just completely owns the Mets. The one player of note that I have not mentioned, though, was Ahmed Rosario. He did go 3-4 for four in the day, collecting half of the Mets' six hits. But, again, that's the entire story of the weekend. Sum it up right there. The Mets can't hit. And it's it's kind of the same problem we've seen for the last you know couple years with the Mets. They can never be good at every facet of the game at the same time. just never happens. Beginning of the year, they were hitting great, but their starting pitching was terrible. Now they've gotten about, was it, seven or eight good starts in a row from their starting staff, and they can't hit. So eventually you hope they put it together. If they can't put everything together, they're obviously not going to be in this divisional race too much longer because the season can go downhill quick. We've seen that in the past couple of years. All right, a couple more things before we close out the show. Steven Matz, unfortunately, will be heading to New York to get his arm examined for a nerve issue in his forearm. So we'll have more information on that as the week progresses, but that is not a positive sign. You also have Jason Vargas dealing with some type of a hamstring injury. So the Mets starting rotation, which has been great, could be losing two of their five members. And if that happens, the Mets will be in real trouble. There's no depth behind those five. So we'll see what happens there. And they're now going to play the San Diego Padres, who are 19-16 and 16 on the season. They just lost a series versus the Dodgers in the first game of this upcoming series. Jacob DeGrom will be on the mound, and he is going to face Chris Paddock. Chris Paddock is a rookie for the Padres, highly touted and has been incredible through his first six big league starts. Opposing hitters are hitting just 112 against him. And he features an incredible changeup for which hitters are slugging 132 is the slugging percentage on that changeup. So that's clearly his top pitch, and we'll see if the Mets can handle it. Of course, DeGrom coming off a great bounce back start the song, pitch seven scoreless innings. He'll try to build upon that success. But we will have our eyes on that series throughout the week. And as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, look out for my interview with Tim Healy of Newsday, which should be coming in the later half of this week. Anyway, thank you for listening. And remember, you can subscribe to this show on the new Himalaya Podcast app, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Also, don't forget, when you get in your car, declare your smart device to play podcast Locked on Mets.